one of the things when we become Christians, followers of Jesus, is that we become new people. Uh, Paul points that out in, as he wrote to the Corinthians. He told them, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. Uh, everything about us changes. And that includes our actions. Our verse today in 1 Timothy, that sixth chapter, we're going to look at verse 12, deals with the actions of the Christian life. And let's take a look. 1 Timothy, chapter 6, verse 12. Stand with me as we just read our one verse. Here Paul exhorts Timothy, Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art also called, and has professed a good profession before many witnesses. Uh, Father, we just come to you. Uh, you're the one that leads us into battle. And Lord, help us to be a people that stand strong and fight the good fight. Lord, encourage us today challenge our hearts for we ask it in jesus name amen please be seated we looked at verse 11 last week and we see that there are some things that we need to flee step away from uh, certain actions evil practices flee from those then we need to follow after other things, follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. And then Paul, as he moves to verse 12, speaks of the fight, the good fight of faith. And that's the first action we're going to look at. We'll look at three actions today. Fight the good fight of faith. Uh, Dr. MacArthur says, a man of God is known by what he fights for, where he makes a stand. And here our battle is termed the good fight of faith. Now, now some Christians don't realize uh, they're in a battle. But every day, every moment of every day, we are in a battle, a spiritual battle. And that's not going to change until we get home to heaven. Only there will we step out of the battle. Fight here means to strive as in a contest. For the prize. The word is agonizome. That's where our word agonize comes from. Uh, so we kind of get the feel for it. It's used in the military realm. It's used in athletic contests. So it describes concentration, uh, to be disciplined, uh, to give the effort to win. And the verb tense shows that it is continuous action, ongoing. Fight the good fight of faith. I mean, we don't, won, we don't win one battle and then get to sit down in the rocking chair. Uh, it, there's another battle coming. It's, it's a daily battle. It's always there. Now, Timothy, his father was Greek. So he'd be very familiar with the Greek athletic realm and games. He would recognize the intensity of Paul's command. Uh, Kenneth Wiest, in his work, he points out that the gloves of a Greek boxer were fur-lined inside, but on the outside they were made of ox leather, 
and had pieces of uh, metal and iron and lead sewn onto them. So those were pretty brutal boxing matches. In fact, the loser in a wrestling match had his eyes gouged out. So when Paul uses that word fight, it's a pretty strong term. It's a pretty strong picture. And when we look at our culture today, really the gloves are off in our culture today. We're in a fight. And yes, we need to be civil. And yes, we need to conduct ourselves with grace. But let's carry the battle forward. We're going to hold our ground. We're going to stand. You know, some in the Christian realm are saying, well, we just need to kind of get along and, and, and tone it down. Tell you what, that's not going to do it. We're in a fight. Now, last week was uh, the Republican presidential candidate's debate. The one that stood out, that took a stand, was Carly Farina. Now, I tell you what, I admire her for laying it out on the line when it came to Planned Parenthood. Amen. Let me quote her. She says, I dare Hillary Clinton, Barack Obama to watch these tapes. Center for Medical Progress, there's about 10 of them out. She dared them to watch these tapes, watch a fully formed fetus on the table, its heart beating, its legs kicking, while someone says we have to keep it alive to harvest its brain. This is about the character of our nation. And she is so right. Uh, George Stephanopoulos grilled her over that next day, saying, uh, those tapes don't show anything. The experts said, you just kind of misquoted. Well, the experts go back, and, and we can show you which tape. Uh, it's either seven or eight, and they can give you the minute and second mark that verifies everything she said. We're in a battle. I've seen results, or uh, poll results, that show over 60% of Americans support the funding of Planned Parenthood. So that shows our society. We're in a battle. And the gloves are off. It's going to get intensified. So realize we're in a fight. Now who do we fight? That word fight draws the arena uh, we're in. We battle against the flesh. You know, every day, we, sometimes our, we're our own worst enemy. Like the one guy said, we met the enemy and he was us. Uh, so sometimes we just trip or shoot ourselves in the foot. We also battle against Satan. Paul told those Ephesian believers, put on the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. So we're in a battle against him. And we need the armor. We battle against a fallen world that loves sin and falsehood. It hates truth. It hates holiness. And we fight against that. We're in a battle against lukewarm Christians and churches that preach just a feel-good message. You see, we're in a target-rich environment, and that's exciting. Exciting time to take a stand. Francis Schaeffer of his time said it is not a time for soft Christians. Well, even more so today. Not a time for soft Christians. We're called to fight 
for the faith. The revealed body of New Testament truth. We're to stand for it. Now when Paul writes 2 Timothy, we see that the battle intensifies. You look at, turn ahead to 2 Timothy chapter 1. Tells Timothy in verse 7, For God hath not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God. Look at chapter 2. Verse 3, there Paul tells Timothy, Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Then in chapter 3, verse 12, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. You will. And then in chapter 4, Verse 7, Paul says, I fought a good fight. I've finished my course. I've kept the faith. And he's soon after would be executed. So the battle intensifies. And that's why Paul tells Timothy, Timothy, fight the good fight. Stand for the faith, the body of truth of God's word. And, and notice Paul says, it is a good fight. It is callous. It is noble. It is excellent. It's a good thing to do. So don't be a lukewarm Christian. Fight the good fight. Now the second action is lay hold on eternal life. As we go back to 1 Timothy 6, verse 12. Fight the good fight. Lay hold on eternal life. Now Paul's not telling Timothy, Timothy, you need to get saved. He's not saying that. Timothy was a believer. He is saved. Lay hold means to keep your grip on eternal life. In other words, Timothy is to live and serve in the light of eternity. So we need to live life with an eternal life view, a long-range view. Uh, you think about it, most of our sin comes be when we live with a short-range view of life. When we just say, focus on ourselves, me, and right now, that's a short view of life. That's the short view range. That'll get us into trouble. It got Adam and Eve into trouble, I mean, what did Eve do? She looked at that fruit, saw it was pleasing to the eye, and good to try out. That was a very short-range view. I think if she would have had a long-range view of all through into eternity, what that would have done, she would have run. So we need to have that eternal view as we live life. Lay hold on eternal life. I mean, look at the heroes of faith in Hebrews 11. 
they will have this, all of them have this in common. They live with an eternity in view. Abel, in faith, offered an excellent sacrifice. Noah built the ark. He saved us all. I mean, if he didn't do that, none of us would be here. We wouldn't be talking about it. Abraham, it tells us, looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. He had the eternal view. And Sarah, by faith, conceived, and a new people would come about, and the coming Messiah. And Hebrews tells us they all looked at things afar off. In fact, why don't you turn ahead to Hebrews, book of Hebrews chapter 11. Now look at verse 24, Moses. In Hebrews 11, verse 24, tells us by faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. That's the short view. Moses rejected it, and he chose to see eternity. Look at verse 26. Esteeming the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. By faith, he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. He had the eternal view. And that changed his direction. So grab that. We're called to that kind of life. The eternal view. The Gospel of John, John really, in his Gospel, tells us what life is all about. That, the word life just really dominates in John's Gospel. It'll show up about 30-some times. And he begins right away in, in verse 4 of that first chapter, he, talking about Jesus. He says, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. Then later in John 10, Jesus says, the thief cometh not, but to steal, to kill, to destroy. I am come that they might have life, and that they might have it more abundantly. You see, Jesus is all about eternal life. And, he would, and he's come that we might have it super abundantly. He died that we could have everlasting life. He gives life that we would not perish. He has power to lay down his life and take it up. As Lord of life, he raised Lazarus from the dead. He told Thomas, I am the life, the way, the truth. So we need to really center on Christ and who he is. How do we live life in view of eternity? Well, start looking at eternity. 
gaze out into the eternal. In Colossians 3, just back a few books, Colossians 3, Paul says, If ye then be risen with Christ. That's a conditional clause. In other words, it's, it's a sure thing. Since ye are raised with Christ. Seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. That's what we're to seek. And in verse 2 he says, Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. So we need to begin to look into eternity. Gaze upon Christ in his glory on the throne. Put your affections in heaven. That's why Jesus said, uh, put your treasure in heaven. Not on earth. Don't be like the rich fool that looked at all his stuff and said, man, I got a bunch of stuff. I'll build bigger barns. And he failed to look out into eternity, and God took his soul that night. So start looking at eternity. Go to the throne of grace daily. In Hebrews 4, I love that verse. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Now think about this. When we step into prayer, we are stepping into eternity. We are stepping into the eternal presence of God. We're before His throne. That is stepping into eternity. Sometimes we miss that aspect. Prayer doesn't come naturally. I mean, we, we have the purpose to do it. Uh, it seems awkward. And, and Satan likes to hinder us from doing that. But we need to just step into prayer into God's eternal presence. That's grabbing hold of eternal life. That's gripping it. Be a people of hope by being in the Word. Romans 15, verse 4. Paul says, For whatsoever things were written aforetime, talking about God's word, were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. You see, God's word gives us eternal insight. Be a people of hope. And then keep looking for the return of Jesus. I think the early church, one of the things it was marked by uh, is they were looking for the return of Christ. That was part of their faith. They believed in the imminent return. Christ could come back anytime. And we need to have that dynamic in our faith. That Jesus could return anytime. Boy, every day I'm out there and I'm thinking, looking at the sky. Boy, Jesus could come back. We're getting closer. Events are lining up. We're seeing shadows of the tribulation 
events there casting their shadow into our time. Be ready. Keep looking. That'll change your faith. That'll make you look at the eternal. Knowing Christ is coming back. In fact, Jesus commanded, watch. Be on the lookout. Read the end of Mark 13. Check it out. So fight the good fights of faith. Lay hold on eternal life. And then we see the third action Paul refers to. Make profession of our faith. He says of Timothy, and has professed a good prep profession before many witnesses. So Paul's reminding Timothy of his commitment to Jesus Christ. He's telling Timothy, look back to that commitment of faith. That confession of faith. And that's good for us to do. We need, need to always look back at our faith commitment. Timothy confessed with his mouth that Jesus is Lord. Believed in his heart, God raised him from the dead. And this tells us we are to be public with our faith. We're not to be secret disciples. As William Barclay pointed out, Sooner or later, either the secrecy is going to kill the discipleship or the discipleship will kill the secrecy. Yeah. One or two is going to happen. Sooner or later, we need to be public. That tells us we need to make profession by word. In Matthew's Gospel, it was in our, what we read today in Luke, uh, Jesus said, Whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, him will I confess also before my Father that is in heaven. But whosoever shall deny me before men, him will I also deny before my Father which is in heaven. Well, that took on a new meaning when we watched those Egyptian Coptic Christians that Isis killed one after another. They didn't deny him. They confessed Jesus. We need to share verbally we are a follower, a believer, a disciple of Jesus. And that's why we require anyone that wants to be a member in this church, we require that they share their testimony verbally how they met Jesus Christ. I mean, we want, we want to make sure. We want to hear it. We want to know your testimony. And that needs to be shared. Uh, everyone who met Jesus could not shut up. I mean, we look in John 4, the woman at the well. She went back into her village and told all the men. They come out. I love the deaf man of Mark chapter 7. Turn to Mark 7. 
Gospel of Mark, chapter 7. Verse 31. Jesus departs the coast of Tyre and Sidon, came on the Sea of Galilee, through the midst of the coast of Decapolis, Gentile area. And they bring unto him one that was deaf and had an impediment in his speech. They beseech him to put his hand upon him. Took him aside from the multitude, put his fingers into his ears, and he spit and touched his tongue. Looking to heaven, he sighed, saith unto him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. And straightway his ears were opened, and the string of his tongue was loosed, and he spake plain. And he charged them that they should tell no man, but the more he charged them, so much the more, a great deal, they published it. Jesus told them, be quiet, and they just told it all the more. And they were amazed. They were astonished. Huh. The man that could not speak now would not shut up. I like that. Peter, when he was hauled before the religious authorities, he said, we, uh, they told him not to speak the name of Jesus. And, and he says, we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. You know, here's a man that denied Jesus. But he got turned around and he would refuse to be silent anymore. Paul, often in his letters, he would ask, pray for him that he would be bold to speak. And the Apostle John, that which we have seen and heard, declare we unto you. And when he writes Revelation, he tells us he's on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. He made profession by word and they banished him. They refused to be silent. And let's refuse to be silent ourselves. <coughs> we need to also make profession by deed. I like what James uh, tells us. A lot of people say they have faith. But he says, I will show you my faith by my works by what I do. And we got a lot of people and public officials that claim to be Christian, but their actions speak so loudly I can't hear what they're saying. Jesus said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works. Glorify your Father which is in heaven. Deeds of good works. Deeds of love. At the Last Supper, Jesus gives a new commandment. He, he tells the disciples, a new commandment I give unto you, 
that ye love one another, as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye love one another. Isn't that interesting? As we love each other, God's people, thou, that's deeds of love. That is a witness and confirms our identity with Christ. And then we need to have deeds of hope. Oh, Peter said, Be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks a reason of the hope that is in you. In other words, we don't need to be living uh, defeated lives where we say, Woe is me, a Christian. No, we're to live a whole lot different. We're to live victoriously. I can do all things through Christ and have hope. So we show profession by deed. And then we make profession by identity with God's people. Now, if you, notice what Paul says to Timothy. You profess a good profession before many witnesses. And, and most scholars believe that this was referring back to Timothy's baptism in water by a local church as a believer. Baptism is a physical witness of an internal decision and commitment. It is a beautiful picture. Baptism is simply a witness. It is picturing what Christ did. When we are baptized, we are picturing the death and burial of Christ going down into the water and his resurrection coming up back out of the water. What a beautiful picture. And we're saying, I identify with Jesus Christ. That's why sprinkling can't do it. it has to be immersed. That's a public witness of identifying with Christ. What a great witness. We have some here who need to be baptized. Make that verbal confession. And then follow in baptism. Give a public picture witness. And then go to church. Identify with God's people. I always smile when I think of the story of an old man that uh, was late in his life. And he was so crippled, uh, he could barely make it to church. And would struggle to get into a seat. Wasn't able to do anything. Couldn't even help hand out bulletins. It's all he could do to get there. Uh, his hearing was completely gone. He could not hear the songs, could not hear the preaching. Someone finally scribbled a note and asked him the question, why do you go to church? Yeah, simple answer. To show whose side I'm on. I like a guy like that. Couldn't experience really anything going on, but he was there. He identified with God's people. That's a witness. Says something every day and you get up and get in your car. 
You may not realize, but that neighbor knows. We take off and go to church. That's a witness. Identify with God's people. Fight the good fight. Grab hold of eternity. This world's passing away. Be public with your faith. Give the witness. Al, you able to make it back up? I have decided to follow Jesus. We're going to sing that. Maybe this morning you need to follow in some way. What is God speaking? Is he talking about our witness? Our identity? Our obedience?